Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shanique Roney and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. This is Gina Warfel today. I am taking over as host just for today. Janique will be back next time around. And I'm so excited because today I have a really incredible guest and his name is Kevin Ellis and he's going to talk about bone health. We're going to dive into osteopenia, osteoporosis. What do you do? He is just a wealth of knowledge and the expert on bone health. And so I'm so excited to have you here, Kevin. I'm excited to be here, Gina. This is great. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. How did you get into this? You seem very young and healthy. What got you driven into learning about osteopenia and osteoporosis? Yeah, a lot of times people are shocked when they're like, wow, a young male is talking about bone health and bone issues. So right. for me, my yeah, my journey started when I was much, much younger. Um, you know, when my mother was five months pregnant with me, my father was told he had cancer. And a couple months after I was born, he passed away and he was 35 at that time. So my entire life, I kind of had this fear that I was going to follow in his footsteps also. And I just, I knew I had some health issues that were taking place a little bit later on in life. And they all came to fruition probably right around the same time. I had high stress, poor sleep, chronic fatigue, uh, depression. Um, I was taking a lot of different medications. I was taking antibiotics, sleeping pills, uh, ibuprofen, 800 milligrams, three times a day. And I couldn't figure out or pinpoint what these health issues were stemming from. And then I was diagnosed with celiac disease and celiac disease is an autoimmune condition where you ingest gluten. It damages your nutrient absorption centers called the villi. And then you can't absorb the nutrients that you need. And especially nutrients like calcium, which is the primary mineral constituent of your bones. And so for me, you still need those minerals and nutrients every single day. And I wasn't getting the calcium and other minerals I needed, and it was raking it from my bones. So then I was subsequently diagnosed with osteoporosis at right around 30 years old. And it's shocking when a lot of people hear that. And for me, I was shocked too. I actually got a letter in the mail that said, you have osteoporosis, go on a gluten-free diet. That was the, that was my direction at that point in time. And I knew there was more to it than that. So I went and I actually wanted to confirm that it was in fact osteoporosis. And I got a second opinion. They confirmed it. And I really figured out I had to start doing something. I had to do some reading, some research, consulting with people, spending a lot of money in the process, trying to figure things out. And I got to the point where I was actually making improvements in my health and in my bones. And I realized along the way, it is usually not the average 30-year-old male that's faced with this. It's usually the woman, 40, 50, 65 plus that's diagnosed. And they're presented with this option of take some calcium, take some vitamin D, go for a walk and take a bone medication. And Mm -hmm. that is woefully inadequate. And it's not going to be the right approach for the majority of people. And that is really the reason why I set out to create bone coach and bonecoach.com. You know, and you said like 
people in women in their forties are the ones who really need to be thinking about this. I think that we tend to even think of this as women who are elderly or in their eighties or in their seventies. And this is really also, I'm very interested in this talk today because I had gotten a DEXA scan and I was really surprised that they said, you know, your bone density, I think this was two years ago. So I'm 33 now. I was 31 then. And they said, you know, your bone density is borderline, almost osteopenia. And I've been healthy my whole life. I eat really well. I exercise, but it made me really stop and think maybe I'm not doing enough. Maybe I need to make some changes. Do you think that there are a lot of women or men who are in their thirties who have these bone mass density that's not ideal, it's not optimal, and they're waiting until like they're 70 or 60. Yeah, you know, there. I think there are a lot of situations like that. The people that we work with, they range anywhere from people in their late 20s to their mid 90s. Mm-hmm. Most of them fall in that 40 to 65 plus range. But a lot of the women that I speak with and work with, they tell me when they get to the point where they have osteoporosis, they don't just want to learn for them. They want to learn for their daughters or they want to learn for their grandkids and they want to be able to teach them and pass on those lessons, but even taking it a step further. And this is really where my passion is, is we want to get to the point where we're preventing. Mm. It's a lot easier to slow and stop and prevent more bone loss than it is to build bone. Once you lose it, both are possible. It's just, it's harder to rebuild bone once you lose it because there are fewer cells involved in that process and that process becomes less efficient. So if there are any women listening to this that are thirties and forties, and they haven't had a bone density scan yet, I would encourage you to go get one, get a bone density scan, figure out where your baseline is right now. So that way you can monitor future changes And especially when you turn 40, 50, you hit menopause, you have that decrease in hormones and estrogen that is going to increase your bone loss. And a lot of people, if you don't do something like potentially bioidentical hormone replacement therapy or something like that, you could be in a situation where you get a diagnosis of osteopenia and osteoporosis when if you had something 10, 15, 20 years prior, you could have known where you started at before. Yeah. So before we go into what can they do and what are some of these risks, can you explain a little bit what is osteoporosis? What is osteopenia? What are the differences between those? And you mentioned a bone scan. Is that, can you also go into, is that how somebody would know if they have it or what are some ways that they would know? Absolutely. So let's talk about the facts first and and the information about osteopenia and osteoporosis right now. And this is by approximately 10 million Americans have osteoporosis. You have another 44 million that have low bone density, one in two women and up to one in four men will break a bone in their lifetime due to osteoporosis. For women, the incidence is greater than that of heart attack, stroke, and breast cancer combined. Okay. Six months after hip fracture, a lot of people have challenges walking across a room and every year, nearly 300,000 hip fracture patients A lot of them end up in nursing homes and a lot of them never regain their function. So this is a lot of stuff later on in life that in many cases we can do things early on to prevent those things. So what is osteoporosis? Osteoporosis literally means porous bone. And it's a condition that's characterized by either not enough bone formation, excessive bone loss, 
or it's a combination of the two of those things. And in osteoporosis, both your bone density and your bone quality are reduced. That's mm. going to increase your risk of fracture. Okay. So the way you find out you have osteoporosis is through a DEXA scan. That's dual energy x-ray absorptiometry, painless test, kind of like an x-ray, but very low levels of radiation. You lay down on a machine, it does a scan, and it tells you your bone mineral density, the actual mineral content of your bone. Then it generates a score. And usually for older people, they'll, they'll use a score called a T-score. For younger, it'll be a Z-score. But a T-score is telling you how much your bone mass differs from the bone mass of an average healthy 30-year-old adult. And if you have a score of plus one or minus one or zero, that's considered normal and healthy. If you have one that's negative one to negative 2.5, that's considered osteopenia or low bone mass. And if you have negative 2.5 or lower, negative 2.6, negative 2.7, so on and so forth, that's considered osteoporosis. And the greater that negative number becomes, the more severe the osteoporosis. So like I was saying earlier, a lot of women are going to get these scans in their 50s and 60s as a check in the box. Their doctors are going to order them. But in my opinion, that's too late, right? Mm -hmm. We want to get them earlier on in life, 30s or 40s. And you may have a situation where you go to your doctor, especially if you're in your 30s or 40s, and you say, hey, I want to get a bone density scan. And they'll be like, well, we don't have a reason to do that. We're not going to cover that one with insurance. You can go to like a radiology group, a private radiology group outside of that and get a $75 to $100 bone density scan. So you can at yeah. least get one piece of data initially. Do you know if it makes a difference in the machines that they're using or the quality? I think when I got my DEXA scan, I looked up, I don't know, it was like a mobile DEXA and they were all over San Diego. They're all around me. So there, it was not hard to find. Does it range in, in the results and the quality or does it not matter? Is it the same wherever you go? It does matter. I mean, a lot of times with a lot of different machines, there are errors in positioning and interpretation. So if you get one, you could also, you can go to somebody to have that checked to see and verify that it was done correctly. You can also go get another scan and just see and compare if those are the right things. A lot of times you also have healed DEXA scans and stuff like that, that are more part of those mobile units. I would encourage people if they can find the machines where you actually go lay down at a radiology yep. center or something like that, that's going to be a better representation. Okay. Um, and then the other piece of this is when you get a DEXA scan, that's going to tell you your bone density. Okay. That's the mineral content of your bone. But the piece that most people don't have is their bone quality, bone mm. density and bone quality combined to create bone strength. So a lot of times people only have part of the picture and bone quality is the actual micro architecture, the structural integrity, the way that bone is organized. And a lot of times that's a really, really important part of that bone strength piece. So there is a technology called the TBS, trabecular bone score. And that is an add-on software to a DEXA scan. Interesting. So, I've never heard of that. Yeah, a lot of people haven't. So a lot of times most machines won't have them and not all doctors are going to be familiar with their interpretation if they do. But you can actually look up and find out if a unit near you has this capability. And there is another technology out there called Echolite. And 
it's more prevalent in Europe and it's like having some slow adoption here in the US. But basically what it does is it looks at in an ultrasound, your bone density and your bone quality also. So, and it can give you this score that tells you your five-year major risk of osteoporotic fracture. So there's some helpful tools out there to really get some objective information about your bone health. That's really cool. Are there other, without doing a DEXA scan, are there other risks that people could think like, oh, that sounds like me. I should definitely pursue a DEXA. Well, a lot of times with osteoporosis or, or low bone density, you're not, it's like a silent condition. You're usually not going to have some, some pain. Yes. People can have pain like with osteoporosis. Maybe it's because of a fracture or maybe it's because of something that's not even related to osteoporosis. So just because you have osteoporosis doesn't mean there's going to be some overt external sign that you have that. So sometimes it would be a good idea, like, especially if you have a family history and it runs in your family, Mm -hmm. there is a genetic component, but you can't, there's not much you can do about the genetic part of that, right? You can obviously help your genes be expressed in a more favorable way through your diet, lifestyle, and all those other habits and things that you probably talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you have to focus on the things that you can influence age, genetics, gender, ethnicity, those things, you can't affect those things. Yeah. So you got to focus on the things you can influence. So what else causes osteoporosis? Well, there are, there are a couple different types of osteoporosis and a lot of people don't know this, but there's primary osteoporosis and there's mm-hmm. secondary osteoporosis. Primary osteoporosis is typically related with a decrease in estrogen in postmenopausal women. Mm, Estrogen has a protective effect on bone. As estrogen levels decrease, as they do during menopause, that's going to cause an increase in the activity level of cells that break down bone. Okay. But then there's a whole nother cause of osteoporosis and that's secondary osteoporosis. That's the category I fell into with celiac disease. And that's where bone loss and osteoporosis occurs as a result of behaviors, disorders, diseases, medications, other conditions. And a lot of times, especially if you're getting unexpectedly diagnosed in your late twenties or your thirties or your forties, there is a secondary cause. But if you're beyond that point, and it's you're in your 50s or your 60s or your 70s or something like that, we do not just want to assume it's just hormones. Because I hear doctors say that sometimes. And I hear people come to me and said, you know, I was having a conversation with my doctor. They said, it's just a natural part of aging or it's just my hormones. Take your medication. (laughs) And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Horrible. Um, And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There could be something else. We need to explore the potential root cause issues. And if there are any of those things. So, yeah, and especially when it comes to, I'll just go through some of the more common causes, especially from a younger age too, that could be contributing to bone loss and osteoporosis. So let's talk about medication. Okay. And these are glucocorticoids are one of the medications These are steroid medications. They're designed to suppress inflammation. They mimic natural steroid hormones in the body. And they're often used to treat things like asthma and autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis. The names of those drugs, prednisone, cortisone, a lot of people take those or have used those. Bone loss is a common side effect of those medications. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the reason for that 
is they reduce gastrointestinal absorption of calcium. They increase urinary excretion of calcium. That's going to lead to a calcium deficit. And the primary mineral constituent of your bones is calcium, right? So, uh, and then glucocorticoids are acting directly on these cells that break down bone to increase their lifespan, which is going to reduce your bone density. So that's really important to understand. If you start that medication, that you're going to have bone loss associated with that. So you got to just be aware of that. Wow. Other ones, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs. Interesting. Okay. I didn't know that's, that. Yeah. That's a class of drugs that are typically used as antidepressants. And there was a review mm -hmm. of 19 studies on the effect of SSRIs on bone that indicate they have a negative effect on bone mineral density and increase the risk of fracture. Okay. Wow. That's a big one. Antacids. This is another big one, oh, right? So the worst. a lot of times, a lot of times when people have heartburn or indigestion or something like that, what do they take for that? They actually think they have too much stomach acid. They're taking Tums and proton yeah. pump inhibitors. Well, usually when somebody thinks they have too much stomach acid, it's actually usually that they have too little stomach acid. Right. And then what, what happens is we take these antacids or these Tums and we you go and suppress what little stomach acid you do have. Why is that a problem? Well, you need stomach acid to properly break down and extract nutrients from your food, mm. like amino acids, the building blocks of protein, right? Your bones are 50% protein by volume. So wow. you, need, you need amino acids, right? It's this collagen protein matrix upon which minerals are laid. Then you've got your other bone healthy minerals, Calcium, magnesium, iron, vitamin B12 is another one. If you have low stomach acid, your body and your bones are going to be starved of those nutrients. So when you mm. take proton pump inhibitors, PPIs, uh, Meprazole, Nexium, Prevacid, and then you've got the other class of drugs, the H2 receptor antagonist drugs like ranitidine and Zantac, those kinds of drugs are not going to be helping that stomach acid. Uh, wow. So there are studies that indicate that long-term use is not going to be good for your bone health. Okay. So wow. that's for the medication. And then I'll just talk about one of the other more common contributing factors, especially in younger people. I mentioned for me, celiac disease, right? If you're not familiar with celiac disease, it's an autoimmune condition where when you ingest gluten, that gluten damages the villi in your small intestine, these tiny little absorption centers that are in your small intestine. And their job is responsible for absorbing nutrients from the food that you eat. And when you have damage to those villi, they get to the point where they become blunted and they can't actually do their job. So then what happens is you still need those minerals to execute your daily functions, to have muscle contractions and nerve impulses and all these things. If you're not absorbing it and taking it in, where is your body going to tap into to get those nutrients? It's going to go mm. to the bones, right? Mm. So that's going to be yeah. contributor to bone loss. Same thing with ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, any of those other ones. And then if we have autoimmune conditions, okay, anything that contributes to inflammation in the body is going to help fuel bone loss, right? So getting that inflammation in check and putting those autoimmune conditions into remission is going to be really, really important. Can you explain that a little bit, the connection between the autoimmunity, inflammation, and bone loss? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, anything that causes inflammation, 
-hmm. It's going to end up increasing the activity level of cells, osteoclasts that break down bone. So it's going to tell the bone to break down and break down faster. So what we need to do is we need to get to the point where uh, let's use autoimmune condition as an example. If you have an autoimmune condition and you're still eating grains and you're still eating a lot of processed foods and things like that, and you've, you've got joint pain and all these other issues that are still taking place, you need to start making some changes, especially the best place to start is with your diet and nutrition. Mm. And you would consider maybe starting out with something like a paleo autoimmune protocol until you can start to see some of those things come into remission. And then you slowly can start adding other foods back in that are going to help support a healthy body and healthy bones. So, yeah. What difference do you think it makes if you wait until you are in your seventies before, or you already have a fracture versus really being proactive in your twenties, thirties, forties? There's a massive difference, a massive difference because especially if you're younger, like you can build bone strength at any age. But once you've already started fracturing, the likelihood that you'll have another fracture increases significantly. Okay. And there's probably already, if you're fracturing and it wasn't just a, a really hard traumatic fracture that had a lot of impact with it. If you're fracturing uh, in those situations, there's probably, it's going to be a lot harder for you in those situations. And there may come a point where a medication may have to be an intervention. I have seen those situations before, but if you're younger and you're on the side of prevention, you've got a lot of other things in your favor as well, right? Hormones, especially at a younger age, if you start doing things from a younger age and you can start making these improvements, there are some other biological things that are going to help you out as well. Yeah, Um, You got to improve, you got to reduce your stress. I'm sure that gets hammered home all the time. You have to reduce your stress. You got to improve your sleep. You can't lead a sedentary lifestyle. You got to be consistent with exercise and you got to make sure you're doing the right things from a diet and nutrition perspective as well. Yeah. I definitely want to dive into that. Things around diet, nutrition, lifestyle. When you started making changes, how did your bone density change? Because to me, I think of bone density changing as being like a really long journey of a lot to do, a really long journey. Can it even really change? Or is it like you are where you are and now you need to stop any losses? How did your results end up changing or did it? Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely did. And you can, this is for anybody listening too, right? If you find yourself in a situation where you're told you have osteopenia or osteoporosis, you can absolutely make improvements. And you can start making progress and improvement and you can improve your bone density and you can improve your bone strength. That is absolutely possible. Now, the changes someone can make in a given time period, that's where there has to be some realistic expectations that are set. Bone remodeling is a slow process, right? This is not something that if you go to the gym two or three weeks in a row, that you're going to see an improvement in your bone density. You got to play the long game here. Okay. So let's say you just get diagnosed with osteopenia and you still have some root cause issue of bone loss is taking place. The first thing you have to do is you get that bone density scan, you figure out you have low bone density, and then you go and you figure out, are you still actively losing bone? And there are these markers called bone turnover markers that you can look at. And these markers tell you what the activity level of cells are 
that are is breaking that down and building up bone. Blood They're is? blood and urine markers. Yeah. Okay. So one of those markers is called the CTX, serum CTX test, CT low peptide. And that test tells you the activity level cells that are breaking down and resorbing bone. Then there's another test called the urine NTX test, NT low peptide test. Again, that's another marker for bone resorption. But then we want to look at the other side of the picture too, which is formation. And there's a test called P1NP, pro-collagen type 1 and terminal propeptide. That's the most sensitive marker for bone formation. And then there are a couple other bone formation markers, osteocalcin and bone-specific alkaline phosphatase. So this is going to help you understand your current, what's actually going on inside your bones at this point in time. Then what you can do is you can actually three months, six months down the road, if you notice something is off or your doctor notices something is off with those markers, you can start to monitor those over time to see what's happening. Those are like leading indicators of improvement. So a DEXA scan is a long-term lagging indicator, year, year and a half, mm. two years down the road. We need objective leading indicators to start to really understand what's going on inside your bone. So that's why the bone turnover markers can be really helpful. That's why other lab tests can be really helpful because if other lab tests are off and they're indicating a specific root cause issue, if you can see improvement in those markers, those also become leading indicators. Yeah. And the same thing with all those other diet and lifestyle things I was talking about, those are all the things that if you start slowly knocking those down and addressing those things, that is what gives you the best shot of improvement long-term. So play the long game. Improvement mm -hmm. is absolutely possible. You can improve your bone density and your bone strength. Cool. How do people access those labs? Will conventional doctors do those? Do you run those? How do people find those? Great question. What we do in our programs, like we have a specific program called the Stronger Bone Solution, where we walk people through how to do all this stuff. But mm -hmm. when we give people a list of all the lab tests that they need to get, we also tell them what the science is. And, and so that their doctor is not just like, okay, you Googled a bunch of information. This right. is what it means. Uh, and then Great. the doctor sometimes will brush it off and say, well, doctor knows best. In this situation, when you have resources that can help support that conversation and the science is part of that conversation, it makes it a lot easier to make progress. So bone turnover markers, for example, those are one of the foundational tests that I recommend people get. There are some other ones. You want to rule out celiac disease. Most people are going to get a complete blood count, a comprehensive metabolic panel. Those are like standard tests for people, the CBC and the, the CMP. Mm -hmm. But you would probably also look at, you want to look at vitamin D. You want to look at PTH. You want to look at some of your thyroid markers. Those are all going to be an important part of that picture too. Then when those tests come back, you got to understand what those results mean. Because when those tests come back, usually they come back and the range of normal is really, really wide, right? And you can still be within normal and have some underlying issue that's taking place that has to be addressed. And you can have normal lab results and a functional deficiency. So it's important that you're able to order the right tests get the right answers, work with the right people. And sometimes doctors don't order a test because if they don't understand its interpretation, it may create a liability for them.
Uh, right. And that's why sometimes, sometimes they may refer you out to somebody else. And then, you know, so for, for example, with bone health, uh, the bone turnover markers specifically, a general practitioner may not be familiar with their interpretation. So they may not order them. So they may say, Hey, go to your rheumatologist or go to an endocrinologist. And then that's when you have to have that conversation with that person also, because bones, mm-hmm. bones are actually an endocrine organ. So that's a lot of times why people go to the endocrinologist for bones. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize that either. I mean, it's so amazing how you brought to light, how the thyroid plays a role, how the gut plays a role, how the food plays a role and how much we've minimized it down to calcium, right? Like we think, (laughs) oh, bone health. Am I drinking milk? Am I eating yogurt? And, And that's it, right? It's just about calcium. How does the gut connection actually play a role with this. I know you talked about absorbing enough nutrients. Is there anything else of how that is connected? Yeah. Yeah. Massive role. I mean, you are not what you eat. You are what you absorb. Right. Uh So a lot of times people, if you think of your body and your bones as being like plants in order to grow, they need nutrients in the right conditions. Right. Most people focus so much on the salads, the smoothies, the supplements that they fail to consider the soil and your gut is like the soil. You're absorbing almost everything there. So when you take in food and supplements, you're going to break that down into smaller pieces in your mouth. The food's going to make its way into your stomach where it's churned in this acidic mix to break it down even further. And then it makes its way to your small intestine, the soil. And that's where their nutrients are broken down to their smallest form to be absorbed by us, the plants, right? But in order to absorb anything, you have to have roots in your soil And those roots are called villi. I was talking about those earlier. And so it's tiny little hair-like projections that cover your small intestine. And they're responsible for absorbing the nutrients from the food you eat. So they absorb those nutrients from the food you eat, and then they shuttle them into different parts of your bloodstream where they can travel to anywhere in your body, right? Whether that's to heal a cut on your hand, uh, you know, grow your fingernails or your hair, or rebuild stronger bones. The job of these roots is so important that the total surface area they use to absorb nutrients is the size of a football field. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Isn't so that amazing? Incredible. But if you don't have proper digestion and you've got that low stomach acid, or you have a gut infection, or you have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or you have some other issue like that, preventing those villi from absorbing nutrients, your body's not going to have what it needs. Your bones yeah. aren't going to have what they need. So there's a massive, massive connection between a healthy gut and healthy bones. That makes so much sense. So much sense, like directly connected. I mean, that's the passageway to getting those nutrients that the bones need that I would bet so many people are not considering that connection. They're just like, am I eating just the calcium? What other role does diet play, whether it's harmful or beneficial for building? How does... Yeah. What, is, what would be the perfect diet or what is a really bad diet for bones? I get this question a lot. And people, sometimes people hate my response because I say <laughs> it, it depends, right? There's no perfect okay, diet. It right, depends right. because we're all biochemically and genetically unique individuals, right? We're going to respond to different foods and supplements and dietary approaches differently. That's why there's no dietary approach. That's just a blanket for every single person. And it's about a lot more than just drink a bunch of milk or, you know, alkalize your body with green vegetables. There's more to the picture than that. And what we also have to understand is kind of what we were talking about earlier. 
if someone does have those digestive issues, or if someone does have those autoimmune conditions or some other health issue they're dealing with, their approach is probably going to differ significantly, maybe even, especially in the starting point, than somebody who does not have those issues. Mm -hmm. So that's why when you hear people talking about, you know, superfoods or everybody should eat this specific food because it's guaranteed, you know, to be good for your body and your bones, make, that's great. Take note of it, try it out if you want, if it makes sense for you, but just don't beat yourself up if it doesn't work for you, because your body may just not be in a situation where it's going to respond to that. Now, with that being said, general rule to consider for dietary approach, anti-inflammatory diet, lean proteins, healthy fats. Yes. You can incorporate, you know, fruits and vegetables and things like that. Okay. So let's talk about even just some specific foods that someone could incorporate into a plan. Right. And again, I'm not saying that every single food is going to work for every single person, but I see these ones that work pretty well for most people. Fish is the first one. That's an easy one. Let's get that one out of the way. Salmon, mackerel, sardines. Gosh, I love, I can't speak highly enough about mackerel and sardines, right? And wild sockeye salmon. But one of the ways that we can eat this is you can get canned salmon and canned sardines and uh, you know canned mackerel and they actually have the bones inside of them too. And you may be, hold up, you may be thinking, wow, I already didn't want to eat sardines. And now you're telling me there's bones inside of them. I struggle with the bones. (laughs) I know, I'm going to tell you, these are not hard pokey bones that are going to hurt your mouth. These ones, this is not the most appetizing piece, but they almost melt in your mouth too, right? And the reason why it would be good to consume these is because those bones have everything that your bones need. Okay. In terms of the minerals, the nutrients, some of the growth factors, proteins, and things like that, they're going to be found inside of those bones and your salmon, your sardines, your mackerel, those are also going to have protein, right? Protein. One of the primary things you have to have for your bones. So super, super important. And then it's got omega-3s. Omega-3s are the dampeners of inflammation. Remember earlier, I was saying that if you have inflammation, that's going to fuel and contribute to bone loss. So you got to be be sure you address those things. And that can be one great way to to help incorporate that. Coconut oil is another one that I really like. It is considered one of the healthiest foods on the planet with over 1500 studies showing its benefits. And for bones, it's going to be great too. And part of that is because it can help not just against have protection against bone loss, but also in the actual improvement of bone structure, which is going to be really awesome. And then we were talking about digestive issues earlier. Also, coconut oil has antimicrobial and antifungal effects. So close to 50% of the fatty acids that are in coconut oil are lauric acid. And when the body digests lauric acid, it forms a substance called monolaurin. And both lauric acid and monolaurin can help fight bad bugs, pathogens, and even the same bacteria and that causes staph infection, C. diff, and the same candida yeast that causes oral thrush. So that's a really, really awesome thing. And then the other benefit of coconut oil is it contains a type of fatty acids called medium chain triglycerides. We're going to call those MCTs. And MCTs are metabolized differently than other fats. They go straight to the liver, right? Where they're converted instantly into energy and ketones. And that's going to be a clean burning fuel source for the body. So I love coconut oil. That's a great one. Another one. Let's talk about leafy greens for a second. 
one of my favorite, favorite, favorite leafy greens is it's in the same cruciferous family of vegetables as broccoli and kale. It's arugula. It's mm. rich in potassium, folate, vitamin C, vitamin K, and bioavailable calcium. All of those are important for bone health. So if you get 85 grams of arugula, which is about three ounces, one of those clamshells, which I don't like that they put it in plastic clamshells, but you know, that's what they got. Um, But at the same time, that's going to provide up to 200 milligrams of calcium. That's awesome. And it's got other phytonutrients in it, like beta carotene, zeaxanthin, lutein. Those are going to be great for skin health and eye health too. Now with arugula, Unlike spinach, which is a common green a lot of people use, arugula is low in oxalates. Oxalates are considered an anti-nutrient that can bind up bone-healthy minerals like calcium in the intestinal tract and block their absorption. So if you've got digestive issues, kidney stones, arthritis, joint pain, those may be some indicators that you have a hard time breaking down and degrading that oxalate. So you can swap the spinach for the arugula in those situations. So smart. That is brilliant. I didn't even realize that or think about that. I love, yeah, arugula. A lot of times- I love arugula because I know it's one of the best prebiotics for the gut. Well, and, and the other great thing about arugula is a lot of people have a hard time getting bitter foods in their diet, right? Bitter, what does bitter do? Bitter is great for your digestion also because it's going to help with bile, Your liver is going to produce the bile. The gallbladder stores the bile. When you're eating your foods, that's going to push that into the the small intestine to help break down, uh, to help clean out some of the bad stuff and help break down your food even more. Arugula is a bitter food. Our diets for the most part are largely devoid of these bitter foods. And this is a Mm -hmm. great one to include. So, right. Okay. I have to ask the question that I'm sure everybody's wondering, dairy, milk, is, (laughs) are you pro dairy or no dairy? Well, so I think it depends on the individual, right? I am not pro drink a bunch of milk every single day. I think there are a lot better ways to approach getting in calcium and other important nutrients. Yes, it is a fact. Dairy is a rich source of calcium. There's no denying that. And it's usually about 30%, a little over that of calcium from dairy is going to be absorbed. If you're going to be consuming dairy, ideally it's going to be as close to natural form as possible organic, get it from grass-fed animals, things like that. Whether it's from a cow or you could go with the sheep or the camel or the goats, those could be other options too. But my favorite kind of dairy, if you're going to incorporate it, is cultured and fermented. Okay. Mm -hmm. This would be your kefir and your yogurts. And I'm not talking about the yogurts that are in the store that (laughs) that you dump in 30 grams of sugar and those fake fruit fruit sauces. Don't get those. Please don't Don't get get those. But yes, if you're going to, that way you get the added benefit of beneficial bacteria and yeast that can be really helpful for you. Whey protein can be a helpful addition. If you can tolerate, Mm. you know, whey protein, that can be a helpful addition. So I'm not completely against dairy. I think it can play an important role, but I think it matters where you are in your health journey. And you're not going to have a perfect diet to start. I think our diets just kind of evolve over time. And we're just constantly testing and trying new things and adjusting over time. Try something out. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, how can we find a different substitute to help Mm -hmm. fill that nutritional gap? 
right? Awesome. Just be I really love, kind yeah. with yourself. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that you're taking such a personalized approach at the same time, because, you know, we are in a health world where everything is the perfect branded package, eat this. And if you don't eat this, you're going to die. And everything gets uh, so cookie cutter. So I can really appreciate to me. I think that that's something that I really appreciate when I meet someone who is so passionate about what they do when they're a true practitioner, of what they do. Yeah, there are some guidelines or some recommendations that you might have, but it's not perfect. Everyone must eat this or must not eat this. One other food question I am curious about, though, is what about things like sparkling water? Is acidic foods like that, is, does that take play a negative role on our bone health? Yeah, in terms of like carbonated water. So you're maybe you're asking about one of your flavored, you know, yeah. uh, what are the standard flavored waters that are skipping my mind right now? But yeah, um, like LaCroix and things like that that's not going to be an issue for your bone health. I mean, it's not like if you're drinking LaCroix every single meal and things like that, you probably want to switch it up, drink some plain water. Maybe you let your water sit with some sliced cucumber or some fruits or something like that to impart some of the minerals in the water, but right. also to add some additional flavor in there. But that's not going to be an issue if you're having one or two of those every so often. And in fact, some of the mineral waters can be a great source of additional minerals too. So if you've got yeah. like a girl's diner or some of the other ones, that can be a great source of calcium and other minerals as well. Cool. So you talked a lot about nutrition and diet, specific diet strategies, and then uh, you mentioned stress. Are there other lifestyle things that impact bone health? Well, we could talk about exercise because that's a really big one. Yeah. Dive into uh, that. That's probably one of the most important things in terms of, are you actually going to be able to build stronger bones? Exercise is going to be an important component of that. So there are two types of exercise or two types of stimuli that your bones need to support. You basically have to have, you have to have muscle pulling on bone and you have to have impact. And the most effective interventions are going to have one or both of those in combination. Usually when somebody is told they have low bone density, they're told, hey, go for a walk or do some weight-bearing exercise. I'm going to tell you right now, walking is not going to be enough, right? For any of us, yes, like it can be helpful. It's good to incorporate that into your daily plan. It's going to be good for your health, but you can't just count on that as the only thing you can incorporate. So weight-bearing exercise is also important. And that's where you're doing exercises where your bones and your muscles are, they're having to work against gravity and you're upright and you're on your feet, that's going to place stress on your bones. So those could be the running, the jogging, the hiking, the dancing, the gardening, playing soccer with the grandkids or the kids outside. Those are good weight-bearing exercises, and they're going to help support some healthy stress on the bones. But then there are non-weight-bearing exercises that are not placing that stress in the bones. This would be like cycling or kayaking, or this is a big one, swimming, also swimming, you're not putting that stress on the bones. And it, it's almost like astronauts in space. Right. They don't have that stress that's being placed. And a lot of times they have an issue with a decline in bone density, unless they actively do something to address that. So it's not to say that you can't do those exercises or that you shouldn't ever do those things, because if you enjoy them and they make you happy and they reduce your stress, go for a bike ride go for a swim, hang out with your family in the pool, like do those things. That's great. But do not count that as your only form of exercise. Now, what do we need to incorporate? You need to incorporate 
muscle and strength training exercises. So you can use heavy resistance bands. You can use free weights. You can use barbell weights, whatever is going to provide that stimulus that you need. And we want to be doing some of those major compound movements. You want to be doing squats, deadlifts, presses, overhead presses, those kinds of things are really, really going to be helpful for supporting healthier, stronger muscles and stronger bones. Um, Why are those ones so good? And what if people can't do squats or heavy squats? Is there something else that they can do? And why are those, those ones so key? Yeah. So the studies around, I mean, there was actually some research done this. It was something called the lift more trial. Dr. Belinda Beck did, did some great work with this, where they looked at, they shown over and over again, that an overhead press, deadlift, squat, chin-ups with drop landings, they're safe and effective for subjects. And they actually help make those improvements in your bones. But even just if you were to go to a trainer and somebody working with you, they're going to most likely be incorporating some of those more major movements because they're engaging more muscle and they're just more, a lot of more, more functional movements as well. Okay, um, cool. So those are great. And you just, yeah, like be kind to yourself along the way too. Right. Yeah. Like, I think we do get caught up in that. Day one. Oh, I got to do everything. I have to do everything. You know, I went to a conference years ago. I can't remember what the study was, it, but it was really interesting. I mean, I went to, to this conference probably 10 years ago. So maybe you might know an update on this information, but they were talking about osteopenia and they said that for people who can't always do all of the exercise in a study, they had people go up on their toes and bare feet and then drop all of their weight onto their heels. And just to put that, like um, that stress on their body. And it showed that it reversed their low bone mineral density. Like I think, I think they were in an osteopenia range and it improved just by going up on their toes and then dropping all their weight onto their heels to create that impact, which sent the signal, sent the signal to the brain, like, Hey, we need to build stronger bones because we're receiving the message that there is impact. Is that right? Yeah. And you know, what's really interesting about that is That happens every day with all of us as you and I are going about our daily lives, whether you have osteopenia or osteoporosis or not, every single person, as you're going about your daily life, you're doing activities, you're starting to, you're putting stress on that bone, but that stress can create these tiny little micro cracks and fractures. And what happens is you have cells within your bone. Bone is living tissue. You have cells within your bone that are sending signals they're sending signals out and then you have, it's communicating to other bone cells like, Hey, we need to repair this and build stronger bone in this area. So the osteoclasts come in, they scoop out the damaged bone, and then it fills in by the osteoblast with stronger, healthier bone. That happens every day with all of us all the time. And when you're exercising, that's helping accelerate that process and continue to move that forward. So that's why you have to have Impact is an important part of that, but then also the muscle pulling on bone, because what happens is you're going to have, you're going to have this mechanical signal that's sending a chemical signal that's telling those bones to become stronger. Wow. So you get way better benefit by doing the resistance exercise than just taking the supplement or the food alone. I mean, that's huge. You know, what's frustrating is that I see marketing out there that talks about, this single supplement or this single device, or I'm going to tell you right now, if you ever see something that it's a single supplement or pill, or it's a Mm. single, whatever, it's not, there's a lot more to it than that. And 
you might want to consider just going the other direction. <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine, she was showing me the supplement she was taking for bone health. And I think it was one of those chews that had calcium in it, but it also had like corn syrup and sugar and all this other stuff. And I'm yep. like, that's going to be terrible. I know. So what does your plan look like? What is that? What would be your stronger bones plan? Like, what would that look like? And maybe versus if you went to your doctor and a kind of a conventional type plan? Yeah. Great question. So the first thing you have to start with is you have to identify and address root cause issues of bone loss. That starts with testing, uh, knowing the right test to order, how to have that conversation with your doctor, knowing what your results mean when they come back and then knowing what to do with those results moving forward. So if you uncover root cause issues, actually addressing the root cause issue and starting to see improvement in those things, that's the first bucket is identify. The second part of it has to be nourish. You have to restore the raw materials and nutrients that you need for stronger, healthier bones through diet, through digestion, through absorption. You need to make sure you have the right inputs to produce stronger outputs because you can't possibly expect to rebuild something that's not there, right? Mm -hmm. And then the third step has to be build. You have to build strength of body, mind, and bone in a way that's going to prevent fracture and injury, not just now, not just what you're doing now, but in the future too, you have to lay that foundation. So you need to optimize your hormones, uh, reduce your stress, improve your sleep, and get the right exercise plan in place. And just be consistent with those things and make sure that it's sustainable and something you can keep up with long-term because for anybody, for anybody that we help and that we work with too, it's like, I don't want to create a dependency on me long-term. I want to educate. I want to empower. I want to create concurrencies. I want to move you forward on your best health plan. And I want to get you to a point where you're not thinking about your bone health every single day or those health right. conditions every single day. I want to get you to the point where you're thinking about hanging out with your kids or your grandkids or doing all the things you love and leading your best life. So, yeah, you're definitely aligned with our philosophy for sure. I can really appreciate that. Yeah. Good. Yeah. We can really appreciate that. And we have so many of our listeners are moms and they have young kids and they're probably thinking about this. Is there anything that they can do to support like their kids from a young age? Yeah. I mean, any of the things, like if, they, if you can get them into sports so we can start getting some of that activity going, if you, I, I know this is a big one for moms too, is like, sometimes we have to find the balance between convenience and busy lives and like a healthy alternatives for really convenient foods also. Like sometimes that takes a little bit of preparation earlier on in the week, a little bit of planning on maybe Sunday or something like that before the week gets started. And you don't have to change everything in a kid's diet all at one time. Maybe you just start, how can I do things 1% better today? How can I make 1% swap today that by the end of the year, you've made a massive swap and one year in a child's lifetime is a drop in the bucket, right? Can you so give an example we, for like what that swap would be for like a child? Like what would be, well, yeah, can you give some examples? One example for me is like for my kids, a lot of kids see their friends eating in the schoolroom and things like that. They see them eating chips and goldfish crackers and all these right. other things. And they come back to me and their teacher's like, Hey, can they have this? And I'm like, I look at the ingredients first and I'm like, right. absolutely not. I'll bring my own food. You just, you don't worry about that. I got gotcha. you. And then I I'll get them like plantain chips. Absolutely love plantain chips. Uh, with sustainable palm oil, some sea salt on them. And it's got cool. the crunch to it that the kids want. 
And it's a better alternative, right? It's not, they don't, they shouldn't be eating that as their only thing every single day, all the time, but it's better. Right. And then another one that we could do is I actually get this olive oil mister. There's like a, can't remember what it's called. It's an olive oil mister. And I will make kale chips with lacinato kale, dino kale. My kids love them. You take, um, there are these little trays that you can buy, like aluminum trays. You break off some kale leaves, you spray them with the olive oil, sprinkle a little bit of sea salt. I think it's 300 degrees, 10 to 12 minutes, get them to where they're just crispy, take them out, oh. put them on a plate. The kids eat them and crunch on them like chips and they freaking love them. So that can be another option that takes 15 minutes to do. And you right. could start getting some nutrients in your kids that are just, it's, it's a really uh, good one. Uh, Wow. Well, this has been so amazing. Is there any last bit of advice or wisdom that you want to leave? You know, just be your own best advocate. Mm -hmm. Just because you get any diagnosis, whether that's a diagnosis of osteopenia or osteoporosis, or you get an autoimmune condition or anything like that, be your own best advocate. It's okay to pause and to say, wait a second, I need to make a more educated and informed decision. Can we take a little bit more time and do a little bit more exploration? So that's a super important part of this process. And again, just be kind to yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself as you go through this. You're definitely in alignment with all of our philosophies. I think our listeners know whether they've been listening for a little bit or for the whole history of gutsy health that we believe so much in people being their own advocate because At the end of the day, your doctor can be your teammate, but they're not going to save you. They're not going to be here to save you. So I really appreciate that you believe so much in educating people and empowering them, empowering them with their labs, empowering them with knowing their bodies. What does it look like to work with you and how can people find you? Well, so we've got multiple different programs and resources. You can always find us over at bonecoach.com. We've got recipes, recipe videos, recipe guides, an awesome blog that gives you a lot of great information about supporting healthy bones at any age. But then also, if you have osteopenia or osteoporosis, we actually have programs specifically designed with highly credentialed experts. It's actually not just me. We've got a team of 14 people. We've got different PhDs, uh, functional medicine practitioners, and people that specifically support you in your journey. And we just lay out a step-by-step plan and make it a lot easier for you along the way. So it's, we crowd out all the conflicting and confusing information, and we're going to focus you on the things to help you make progress and move you forward with stronger bones. So bonecoach.com is probably the best place, but we're on all the other social places too. So YouTube and Facebook. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I saw you guys have an Instagram, I think too. Yeah. Or you're, yeah. Yep. Awesome. You're on a phone coach, Kevin there. Bone Coach Kevin, all the other ones are at Bone Coach. I just started a TikTok. I will probably start doing videos there soon. I just not to that point yet. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. You are such a wealth of knowledge and so in alignment with our philosophy. I love what you're doing. I'm definitely going to keep following all your work and your information. So thank you so much for being here. This was amazing. Gina, thanks so much. It was a pleasure. And I hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful time and and a great, great health journey along the way. All right. Well, that's it, you guys. I hope you enjoyed today. You learned so much. This was just incredible. Definitely take this, put it into action. Don't let it just slip away that you heard that that was interesting. Put it into action. Check out these resources and we'll see you guys next time.
Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast.